0: Hello, and welcome to this teaching from Pennington AG Church. Today, I'm gonna be talking about fasting. What is it? How does it work as a spiritual formational practice? And what are the biblical examples to help us frame up this practice in our lives? If you're like me, you probably have had many different examples and experiences of fasting throughout your life. I can recall a time when I was 17 and I fasted for an entire week. Um, It was just juice and water, liquids only fast, and I joined in together with other friends who were fasting, and in that moment, I felt like, all right, I'm going to fast. This is like a prayer on steroids. This is like a super spiritual expression, and for that entire week of fasting and praying, I felt nothing. I felt nothing special in it, and we would spend an hour each night together praying as we were fasting, and it just didn't do anything for me. And I remember asking God at the end of this, what what was happening during this time? There are other moments where I fasted. I've done week-long liquid-only fasts. I've done 24-hour periods of water-only fasts. I've done Daniel fasts and different things of abstaining from different foods or TV or media. And I want to lay out one thing up front. As we talk about fasting, there are many great spiritual disciplines that involve abstaining from things, specific or certain foods, or specific or certain actions or activities but biblical fasting is about a total abstaining from food for a period of time biblically actually the model is 12 to 24 hours that's the period of fasting we find most often in scriptures there are grand moments of moses and jesus and elijah where it's 30 or 40 days but the predominant spiritual discipline in scripture is a 12 to 24 hour no food at all fast. And that may be just drinking water or maybe drinking fluids throughout. And so let's tackle it. We've done as a church Daniel fasts in the past. And a Daniel fast is a combination of a passage in Daniel where they abstained from rich foods as well as a passage from Daniel where he fasted for 21 days. And you take those two together and you create the Daniel fast. Or as some people may call it, the Daniel diet or the Daniel uh, eating pattern or habit or whatever it is where we abstain from rich foods and we eat only whole grains, nuts, and things like that. We are not going to be doing Daniel fast as a church, and you may have asked this question because January came and went when we normally do that fast, and we didn't do it. And I want to walk you into, and today we're going to explain a little bit of where we're going and why we're doing this fast pattern. Part of it comes from my own study and a conviction on my heart and in my soul to move into a biblical model of fasting, where we hold to periods of 12 to 24 hours of fasting as well as, rather than one time a year where we fast, I want us to instill more patterns in our lives of regular fasting. Regular periods throughout weeks, regular periods throughout our months and throughout the year that reground us into the whole body experience of flesh and soul and draw us into the presence of God. And into this, we've practiced also social media abstaining. And we may use the term uh, social media fasting, but it's not a fast. It's abstaining from social media or abstaining from media or certain types of entertainment whatsoever, and that's great, and we should do those and patterns of those. But they are not biblically what would be defined as a fast. And so I want to look at two scriptures to start us off on what the biblical model of fasting is. Number one, we learn from David in this passage in Psalm that fasting is a whole body act. It is both our body and soul brought together in an act of spiritual fasting and physical fasting. Psalm 35, verses 13 through 14, David writes, Yet when they were ill, I grieved for them. I denied myself by fasting for them. But my prayers returned unanswered. I was sad as though they were my friends or family, as if I were grieving for my own mother. David, in an act of responding to suffering or a grievous moment in others' lives, went into a moment of physical fasting. He brought his emotions, his soul, and his body together in this act. In Isaiah, we learn uh, a very famous passage where God points us that fasting is not just a selfish act of of turning up my spiritual dial or diving into a special spiritual moment, but that fasting is, as all of the Christian experiences a work for others, for the good of others, for caring for God's family and kingdom. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7 say, No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned, lighten the burden of those who work for you, let the oppressed go free, and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them, And do not hide from relatives who need your help. How do we combine these two ideas of fasting? And what does the biblical model look like? I want to lay out a definition made popular by Scott McKnight for fasting as this. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Fasting is our natural response to something that grieves the soul and grieves the heart of God in our grief, we respond with a physical act of going without, of joining in in that act of suffering. And it's natural. Think about it this way. As a human being, there are moments I go into fasting that I didn't choose to based on my own emotional suffering in that moment. When a loved one dies, oftentimes we don't want to eat for periods of hours or maybe even a day. I just can't do it. There's too many emotions going on. I'm grieving. I I can't eat a single thing. Or when we see a moment of, of great injustice, and in those moments we can't eat either. I'm just so angry, or I'm so upset, and my, my heart just yearns for justice for this. Or, for many of us, when a relationship breaks and ends, we go through a divorce or a difficult breakup or a hard relationship falling apart, those moments grieve our hearts so much that they affect our gut and they affect our flesh. And so it's a natural response to moments of grieving, And so in fasting, we connect our sinful, broken, wandering hearts to the righteous, perfect heart of God and find moments where he is grieving for this world, for our own lives, for the lives of others, and we bind ourselves into that moment of sacred grief and we fast in response to that. And so to that, fasting is a response and not a tool We don't use fasting to get what we want. This is how I grew up, and this was my mentality of fasting. It was a super prayer. Fasting was me telling God, oh, I want this so bad that if I go without eating, you're going to do what I want, almost like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. I'm not eating. I'm not going to breathe until you give me what I want, God. But fasting is not a tool to twist God's arm. Fasting is a response to a grievous moment in this world that grieves the heart of God. And as we pursue his will in our lives, it grieves us. And out of that grief, we fast. And in that fasting, we pursue God's kingdom come and his will be done on this earth. And so we have the grievous moment, we have the act of fasting, and we have the response. Or A, to B, to C. Most of us experience fasting in a problematic way of just B to C. I fast to get a response. The biblical model is out of a grievous moment, recognizing it, we move into fasting in order to see God's response. A sacred moment results in fasting to produce results. And now, a sacred natural moment in our lives of grieving and those things we've already talked about, biblically, the sacred moments for us can be myriad, can be sin and just grief over sin of ours or of someone we love or our culture in general. It could be out of death and the thought of a lost loved one or even someone we know is going to die. It could be fasting in response to that. The impending disaster or a disaster itself in our life, in the world, the lack of holiness and a lack of love and compassion, the impoverishment of others and the suffering of others, or the sacred presence of God himself could move us into a sacred grievous moment of fasting and response. Or perhaps it's just the absence of justice, peace, and love. Something is just not right. The world is not as it should be. And we move into a grievous response, a sacred moment of fasting to see God respond or to see the world change. Amy Johnson Freikholm, she's an author and a church historian that writes about um, history and the view of end times. She says this pretty succinctly about fasting. Fasting, she concludes, is about three things. Attentiveness, compassion, and freedom. Attentiveness, compassion, and freedom. And let's look at each of these, and inside of it, we'll talk about different ways that we respond in fasting and different ideas in this world, sacred moments that move us into fasting and how we posture ourselves in the best way to connect to God's grievous heart to see a response change in our world. First, let's talk about whole body attentiveness. Attentiveness. Fasting is a physical act. It's a way we combine our soul and our body together. Andrew Murray, a great Christian mystic and writer on spiritual formation says, fasting helps us to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God here on earth. John Piper, a leading Baptist minister and preacher says, they were hungry enough For God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. In fasting, we become acutely aware and we combine together the physical flesh that we live in and the eternal soul that embodies this flesh. And we remind ourselves and become attentive to whole body spirituality. I am not a soul trapped inside of a body, I am not a body holding back a soul. I am body and soul. You are flesh and spirit. It is how God made you and breathed life into you. It's how you will live forever in light of the resurrection. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see concretely that we are flesh and soul together. God takes the dust of this earth, breathes spirit into it, and it becomes man. It becomes you and I. We are flesh and soul together. The separate talk of body and soul is what results in so many struggles and problems in the Christian life. When I do not realize that this body I live in and how I treat it or indulge it affects the soul that is a part of me forever. When we don't think about the world that we live in as part of the eternity and the plan that God has. It's called dualism, separation of body and soul. We are unified one. So much so, that Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if we don't understand that our body and our flesh is one, we misunderstand the resurrection entirely. He says Christ came and he put on a body and he resurrected with his body and he takes that body into heaven with him and will have it for all eternity. And as a result, you, one day, if you trust in the power of Christ, will resurrect with your body and will have it forever glorified and, and soul and spirit and body together eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, he says it like this, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Fasting is an act where we unify together our body and our soul, and to remind ourselves that how we live in this body is an act of worship in and of itself. This is why Fasting must contain the abstinence of food because it is food that gives our bodies life, quite literally. It is food that animates our body and gives us energy and moves us. And in many ways, it is food that unites us as people around the dinner table and around meals and cooking and sharing in food together. It is an intimate part of what it means to be alive. And as we spend a period of time abstaining from it, we remind ourselves, my body doesn't run on food alone. It runs on the very presence of God in me, living and animating me. And it also reminds us that our body is connected to our soul eternally. When we fast, it reminds us to be attentive to the interconnectedness of our whole body. As we fast, okay, first off, wholeness of body. Secondly, as Isaiah writes, and that passage may be new and you're trying to wrestle through what Isaiah meant by fasting being about caring for the suffering and the poor, fasting biblically is about compassion for the suffering. Fasting can be an act of coming to God for the sins of others. We see Moses do this in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 17 through 21. He comes down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God He's carrying two stone tablets of the Word of God, literally written by the finger of God, and he comes down, and the Israelites have fallen into decadent sin and idol worship and the crafting of idols, and Moses smashes the tablets, and it says he then goes into a period of fasting and mourning for 40 days. He fasts not because of his own sin, but as a response to the sins of others. How do we respond when we discover fresh, fatal sins of others around us, whether close loved ones of ours, the community or the church that we're a part of, the state or nation that we're a part of. Oftentimes, our response is to criticize. And we have become a culture of culture critics. We have become churches of church critics. And we very easily will come and criticize other church leaders or other church models and directions when maybe God is calling us to grieve for their sin or to grieve for what we perceive as lostness. And to come before him in a moment of fasting and say, God, I'm going to seek you on their behalf. And rather than criticize to others, I will bring it to the Lord in fasting and prayer and say, grieve my heart for what grieves yours in this nation, in this state, in the church. Grieve me along with your grief. We can fast out of a response to sin and shame. We can fast as intercessors for those who are sinning and are in moral failure. Daniel does this in Daniel chapter 10. He puts himself as an intercessor for people he has never even been around, a nation he has not even lived in since he was a young boy. Nehemiah does this as he intercedes and fasts and prays and grieves for a people that he has never been a part of. He grew up outside of, but he puts himself in their place in fasting. Fasting can be an act of praying for the health of others, and oftentimes this is a big one for a lot of us. Psalm 35 Verses 11 through 14, David writes, Malicious witnesses rise up, and they ask me about things I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is forlorn. But as for me, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my bosom, as though I grieved for a friend or a brother. I went about as one who laments for a mother, bowed down, and in mourning the grievous nature of joining in with God that we are not meant to suffer and die in our flesh. This was not God's plan for us. This is the result of a fallen world. And every person who becomes sick, every person who dies before their time, every person who loses health and life and vitality as a result of the failures of this flesh grieves the heart of God. And he says, join with me in fasting and in prayer and grieve along with the lives of those, and seek me as a response for their healing, the sacred moment of people's brokenness and suffering, into a moment of fasting to seek God's response for healing. In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, Jesus tells his disciples, there are some things, and he's talking in this instance about a demonic spirit, there are some things that only come out through fasting and prayer. Some demonic spirits, some illnesses and brokenness, some grievous moments only come out when we bind our hearts in fasting through grief and sacredness and in prayer. It can be as a response to poverty. As we saw in Isaiah, fasting can be an act of response to poverty and injustice. If we are genuine in seeking God's will and presence, we know from the pages of Scripture that God grieves those who are suffering the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. We pray over them, and we can grieve alongside of them. We can move into a 24-hour period of fasting and prayer for the impoverished around us, for those suffering right now in our communities. And we can grieve with the suffering of God's people, move into fasting, and pray for a response, for God to relieve or God to respond to them. One of the beauties of Isaiah and one of the beauties of fasting throughout Christian tradition and even back into the Old Testament and the Jewish tradition is that in fasting for that 24-hour period of time, what a follower would do is they would also calculate how much they had saved in not eating that day, how much I'd saved in not having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I've calculated this for myself and it's about $20 a day, about $20 a day when I don't eat, and that's about how much it costs on average for me to eat throughout a day. And they say, well then in that day of fasting, take that $20 and give it to someone who's impoverished. Donate it to a local food bank or donate it to kingdom builders and projects we will do to help alleviate the poor and the suffering in our community and around the world. But use your moment of grieving and then use it to help alleviate the suffering of others. As I go without in this period, I'm reminded that there are those throughout the world who go without every single day. And as I go without my indulgences, I recognize that I'm living on way more than I need to, and I can reassess the generosity of my heart in that moment and where I need to give and live with less. An ancient church writing called The Shepherd of Hermas reads like this. Estimate the cost of the food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his own soul and pray to the Lord for you. And that's how we, in fasting, respond to the suffering of others. And now how, in fasting, do we find freedom from our own sin and selfishness? First, we can fast as a response to the desires of our own hearts. And this is probably mostly how we've had experience with fasting. There's a desire in my heart for God to open up a door, for God to answer an opportunity, or for God to change a circumstance. And that can be your sacred moment. If it grieves your heart enough, God has compassion and cares about your desires and your life, and you can bring it before God in fasting. It should not be the main thing we fast about. We should focus our fasting and our prayers on the desires of others. But in moments of our own grief, you can bring that before God in fasting, and he will respond. We see this in the biblical story of Hannah coming before God for her son or for her infertility and to have a son. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1-20, through 20, this is the prophet Samuel, the judge of Israel Samuel, his mother cannot bear children, and so she comes to the temple day after day, she fasts, and she prays passionately, and she seeks God to answer the grievous moment of her heart and to respond. God does care about the grieving of your heart, and you can bring that before him. In that way, we can receive freedom or response from God to the things that bind our own hearts. Second, in freedom, we can respond to God for guidance in our lives. The sacred moment can be, I don't know what's next. I don't know as I graduate college what my next job is. In this relationship, I don't know if this is towards marriage or this is not for a future in my life. It can be any moment in our life where we're not sure what God's calling and will is. We can bring that before him in a grieving moment of fasting. In Ezra chapter 8 verses 21 through 23, The exiled Israelites, before they return to the land of Canaan, to the land of Israel, they seek God in fasting for direction. God, is this the direction you're leading us in? If it is, can you give us support and direction and clarity for it? You may need to move into a period of fasting to receive clarity from God as to what your next step of life and calling is. And most often, we receive freedom by discipline of our bodies. By discipline of the desires of our flesh the desires of my childish stomach that wants to be indulged all the time and i can receive freedom from my own selfish desires first corinthians chapter 9 the apostle paul church planter writes this do you not know that in a race the runners all compete but only one receives the prize run in such a way that you may win it athletes exercise self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we receive an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and I enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Body discipline, if designed and practiced regularly, if we think about it seriously, is an ongoing life of repentance from selfish desires In the face of moral development, in the face of spiritual growth, as I grow in trusting Christ for my whole body and soul, I grow out of my childish desires for immediate indulgence. And in fasting regularly, we remind ourselves that our body serves the eternal goal of the kingdom God has planned for us. It's an overall yearning to be more holy, to be more like Jesus Christ. And to this end, I will tell you, when it comes to fasting, the reason it should be regular and periodic is progress is not made over one intense week or one intense 21-day period. Progress is made over years, decades, and a lifetime, not one immediate moment. And as we fast regularly throughout our lives, we give Christ permission to speak into the discipline of our selfish desires. All right, those are the three that we've looked at. Now let's finish this out by looking at the ultimate desire of fasting. Two aspects. Number one, fasting as preparation for or a response to the presence of God. Five of the most significant figures in all of Scripture follow this fasting pattern. Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Jesus, and Paul all fast in preparation for or response to a significant, intimate moment with God. Exodus 34, famously, Moses comes up on the mountain and wants to meet God face to face. And he says, God, can I meet you? And God says, all right, in one moment, but you will only see my back. And as God passes, he declares his name and his nature. We've revisited this passage so many times as a church because it's so important. But what happens to Moses afterwards is he fasts. He fasts as a response to God's presence. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 fasts before he encounters God's presence. Daniel fasts for his people and then immediately in Daniel 10 receives a significant spiritual vision. Jesus fasts in the desert in Matthew chapter 4 before he begins his earthly ministry. He fasts to prepare. For some of us, the grievous sacred moment may be a lack of God's presence. It may be a desire for more of his influence in our lives, for more of his voice and presence in who we are. And that sacred moment is a lack of God's presence and a desire for him. And in fasting, we invite and we make time and space to invite him in to see a response of God speak or move in our lives. Or it may be for you, God spoke to you a significant thing and in response to that, a moment of fasting to receive clarity of his divine direction. And then lastly, fasting as a hope for more than our current reality. Fasting keeps us connected to that this flesh, this earth, this body, and this world is not all we are meant for. This flesh is important and we will live with it in eternity in resurrected bodies by the grace of Jesus Christ, but it's not all that we are and it's not all that we're meant for. And if it was all that we were meant for, as the writer of Ecclesiastes writes, then I would just indulge, and I would eat whatever I want, and I would do whatever I want, and I would spend whatever I want, because I'm going to die, and I can't take it with me. But in Christ, he says, there are spiritual works, there are relational works that you will take with you, that you can take into eternity. And in fasting, we ground ourselves, and we remind ourselves that we are made for eternity in this flesh. One thing that distinguished the early church from every religious community around them was that they fasted with a bodily hope for the one-day resurrection, that they would fast and go without because they said, this isn't my time, this isn't my world, this isn't the only thing in my life, and I will fast to remind myself of the resurrection and the eternity that Christ has planned for me. Jesus predicted on earth, the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, And they will fast in those days. Luke chapter 5 verse 35. Jesus says when I leave this earth you will then fast expecting and longing for my return one day. And for Jesus there appears to be four periods of feasting and fasting that Jesus refers to. Pre-Jesus there is fasting. And expecting him to come and the, the hope of a Messiah to come. There is fasting and the desire for him to come and make things right. And then there is feasting as our Messiah Jesus comes, and feasting when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, feasting when we're in the presence of our God as he pours out his love and mercy and grace on us. And then fasting. As he returns to heaven with his resurrected body and we wait for his one day eternal return, we fast in expectation of his return. And then when he returns one day in the future, there will be feasting for all time. We live in this third act. Currently, right now, in New Jersey, in 2021, we live in the third act of fasting. But we also live with the Holy Spirit in us with the presence of Jesus Christ eternally in his community, in you and I, living between us and with us. And so this is where we see a regular historical calendar of feasting and fasting. In feasting, we're reminded that Jesus Christ came and we have his spirit in us and we celebrate that we have eternal life planned for us and that God lives among us. And then we fast as we grieve that the world is not yet as Christ has designed it. We grieve with injustice in this world. We grieve with bodily suffering in this world. We grieve at a desire for Christ to come and make it all well. And so for thousands of years, the church has practiced patterns of feasting and fasting and feasting and fasting. And this comes into a bit of the direction for 2021. If you're watching this and you're a part of Pennington AG Church, or if you're not, I invite you to come along with us. We are starting this year a new pattern We are moving as a church closer into the historical church calendar. And for us as a church body, I believe strongly in my gut and in my heart as Jesus Christ speaks into the leadership to move into a period of historic Lent. For us, this begins this year in February 17th, and it runs for seven weeks. And throughout Lent, we are going to be practicing weekly 24-hour periods of fasting. Each week, we will, from the church calendar, use a new topic of prayer, of what we're responding to in sacred grievous moments, whether that is confession of the sins of our own lives and our nation, or whether that is a desire for healing, or whether that is just a desire to become more like Jesus. We will each week practice 24 hours. Wednesdays from 6 p.m. to Thursdays at 6 p.m., we will be fasting. And we will give a direction as a church as a whole what we will be fasting on. And for seven weeks, seven times, we will spend 24-hour periods fasting and seeking a response from our God. We will move out of a call for a gravest sacred moment into fasting to see God respond for transformation in our lives, in our church, or simply to respond with his presence for us. I will close with a quote from Thomas Ryan. Fasting is one of the ways the servants of Jesus keep themselves alert in this future-oriented waiting until the bridegroom returns. In each case, the energy is upbeat, forward-looking, and marked by the quiet joy of anticipation. As we fast, we respond to the grief that this world is not yet as Christ has made it but we also fast with joyous expectation that Christ will return and heal all that is broken in this world. And I invite you to practice regularly periods of fasting and seeking the transformation of God. You may be watching this video today and even as we talk about fasting, you may have never fasted in your life, you may have never prayed to Jesus in your life. And I wanna give you an opportunity today to just take one step forward One step of obedience towards our loving Savior in Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He lived as we have lived. He died on a cross in our place for our sin and shame. And he resurrected full bodily resurrection so that we could be resurrected and live in eternity with him. If you'll just pray this brief prayer with me, you can take one step towards Jesus. Jesus, today we recognize you as Savior and We recognize you grieved for our sin and our brokenness and lostness. And it moved you to come to this earth and die in our place. I recognize that you died for me. You are my savior and my king. You resurrected and rose from the grave so we could live eternally with you and fear death no more. You gave your life for me Today, I commit my life to follow you, to search for you, to understand who you are in my life and in eternity, Jesus. May you be my Lord and Savior. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time with me today, I invite you just to click the link along with this video. Let us know. We would love to support you and celebrate alongside of you. Thank you for joining us for this time of teaching from Pennington AG Church Online.